Hello, hello, and welcome to Inside Intercom. Today, we're bringing you the first episode of Scale, a new mini-series all about, you guessed it, scaling a company. Over the next few weeks, you're going to hear a series of conversations with people who've taken their companies through hyper-growth and have lived to tell us the tale. The high-growth stage of any company can feel like a messy, scary, and quite frankly, a pretty stressful place. So we're going to share the do's and don'ts for rapidly scaling startups. You're going to hear from people at companies like Stripe, Atlassian, and Pipedrive, where they're going to share the hard-learned lessons they've learned as they've scaled their companies. Up first, we sat down with Leela Srinivasan, the CMO at SurveyMonkey. Leela's seen hypergrowth firsthand at companies like LinkedIn, Lever, and now SurveyMonkey. Leela joined the podcast to tell us why hypergrowth shouldn't blind you to what's really important to your business, the customer. So let's dive into the conversation. Leela, thank you so much for joining us. Could you share how you broke into leadership and your path to becoming a CMO? Absolutely. And thanks for having me on the uh, podcast as well. So my path in leadership is an interesting one. If you back up before the marketing experience, and I've been in in marketing proper for about nine, 10 years now, I actually spent my first five or so years in sales. So I was an account executive and then I became a sales manager. And I think that's probably why I have tended toward B2B marketing in in roles uh, since I walked to the other side of the, the fence, as it were. From there, I actually spent a couple of years at business school. So I had had some management experience in sales, decided I wanted to double down on that and potentially switch careers. So I went to, to business school at Tuck at Dartmouth. Came out of that in management consulting, which also teaches you a different set of leadership skills. And pretty soon you're, you're managing small teams of, of analysts and associate consultants, as we called them. And so by the time I got to LinkedIn in early 2010, I had some leadership slash people management experience but it was really my first proper marketing job. So I came into LinkedIn as a, a, the first product marketer for LinkedIn Talent Solutions, which was their largest, fastest growing business and kind of jumped on that rocket ship. And when I joined, the company was about 500 employees. When I left four and a half years later, it was about six and a half thousand. And when, you're, when you have that sort of career opportunity, that throws up all sorts of leadership opportunities for you, as well as uh, opportunities to grow within your discipline. And so I stayed in marketing for the four and a half years, but I had a different, a succession of different roles, basically that helped me to uh, see more and do more around the marketing stack as as it were. Uh, So by the time I left LinkedIn and moved to OpenTable for about a year and a half in restaurant marketing, I had amassed enough breadth of experience to take on a more senior role. And it's sort of gone from there. It's funny. It's like we've chatted to a lot of like CMOs or different marketing leaders. And it strikes me there's kind of like, this sort of Venn diagram of like sales experience, consulting experience mm-hmm. and marketing experience and mm-hmm. the CM on the middle. It's pretty incredible just to see the sort of patterns of the people we talk to. Yeah, definitely. And I think product marketing in particular is a great entry point for consultants because, and, and MBAs as well, it's that strategic skill set. It's the, a lot of what you do in product marketing is around messaging and positioning, pricing, a lot of strategy uh, and thinking about comp- competition and so forth. And so I found that the the skill set was actually tr- directly transferable. Of course. Yep. So uh, today we kind of specifically want to talk to you about kind of customer feedback. And I know you've mm. kind of been talking to everyone at Saster about it. And I just wonder, like at a very high level for our listeners, like why should customer feedback be such a priority for for marketers in 2019? Well, I have a sad statistic to share with you, Jeff. So at SurveyMonkey, we were quite fond of research, as you can imagine. And we ran some research last year and found that 63% of people think that marketers are selling them things that they do not need. 
that tells me that we as a marketing profession are not doing a good enough job of listening, of really understanding the pain points, the challenges, the opportunities for us to add value to our customers. And so that's sort of the starting point of believing that we need to listen and lean into customer feedback more than we ever have. Uh, and then you you sort of can you can juxtapose that with, well, if they're not listening to marketers and companies, who are they listening mm. to? And the answer, of course, is their peers, sure. right? So 82% of people said that they would find a peer recommendation more trustworthy than whatever's coming out from the company. Right. And so that gives you the very clear indication that, uh, first of all, you got to listen to customers. And secondly, if you're not listening to your customers, your competitors are, your future customers are, the industry is. And so you've got to have that ear to the ground and really understand that feedback and not only measure it, but also benchmark it and act on it so that you can drive change. Yeah, and it's kind of funny you mentioned that sort of peer feedback as well. Like like yeah. we've seen explosive growth in companies like G2 Crowd and stuff and these sort of like, you know, companies that aggregate sort of like yeah, user feedback about it's software. It's like playing so. whack-a-mole, by the way. They just keep springing up these uh, <laughs> these review sites. But yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're definitely a data point and a, a resource for, for potential buyers. Sure. And it's funny you mentioned this word about benchmarking customer feedback because I often think from people I talk to, like, Getting customer feedback is something that every marketer would agree with. You know, it's something they want to do, but often it's sort of pushed down people's priority list because it's maybe harder to measure than sort of other marketing channels. What sort of ways have you found to sort of prove the the, the ROI of customer feedback uh, in your career to date? Yeah, well, I'll throw up one that you might not actually have have thought about as much, but uh, we've recently done some some research to look at the relationship between customer engagement and feedback and mm. also employee engagement. And what we found is that if you ask employees who work at organizations that believe their company takes customer satisfaction and listening to customers mm. seriously, 83% of them say that they're likely to be at that company two years from now. If you ask the same question to a population of employees at organizations where they don't believe their co- their companies really prioritize and listen to customers and, and think about satisfaction, only 56% mm-hmm. of them would say that they're likely to be at that organization in, in two years. Now, if we step back and think about how damn hard it is to hire and retain talent, right? Every time someone walks out the door, the cost conservatively is about a third of their salary to right. replace them, right? And in terms of lost opportunity and, and so forth. And so if nothing else the sheer cost of retaining your workforce uh, is, is a consideration. And it's surprising how the act of bringing your employee base closer to your customer so they can hear that feedback can really be a game changer in terms of how engaged they feel with with your mission, your purpose, and the value that, that you're adding in the world. Sure. So, I mean, even maybe thinking beyond the sort of company culture mm. sort of benefits that actually customer feedback can bring, is there an argument to say that capturing customer feedback can actually sort of grow revenue as well? Is that something that you sort of have thought about in your career? Oh, or? most definitely. I mean, I think I've, I've seen it in several different guises. So, you know, one one clear-cut example is the customer advisory councils that mm. I've had the opportunity to run across really all of the organizations that I've, I've worked at in recent years. And we're actually in the process of launching uh, real councils at uh, SurveyMonkey this year. And what I would say is the the exact composition and purpose of the council varied from company to company depending on what our biggest needs were. But something that was common across all of those was sort of handpicking the right 10 to 15 people to work really closely with. And the purpose of working with them closely was partly to to really listen to that feedback, mm-hmm. to make sure that we had an active ear to folks that we thought were likely to give us constructive feedback and were the types of organization that we were looking to double down 
in terms of building more relationships with. So that that feedback has, I've seen that be instrumental organizations in terms of shaping roadmap and also shaping the way we go to market. Sure. Right? So I think the sort of the act of that qualitative feedback has been has been super important at uh, all the orgs I've worked at, as I said. And then the other thing is, you know, if you think about the, the quantitative aspect, right, the thing I see companies get wrong time and again is not incorporating customer feedback into key messaging, positioning, campaign ideas, even product names, right? right? Okay. If you get the product name wrong, you know, you're, you're, you might be screwed. Yeah. If you don't position it in a way that really appeals to your audience, you're also not going to be driving results. Sure. And the thing is, it's so easy today to run a survey and you can either, you can run it with your existing customers. You can, we actually have a service called SurveyMonkey Audience where you can choose the panel that you want to go out to and very quickly survey them and get feedback. And that will give you quantitative feedback very quickly on whether or not you're, you're hitting the mark or, you know, missing it with uh, with your campaign or your idea. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting as well, just even getting, you know, customer feedback on, th- on things like names and logos. Obviously, you know, we saw Slack's sort of logo redesign and people said it looks like, you know, swastika or something like that. So even, you know, getting... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Some of these things that can be sort of like missed along the way. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, it's funny you mentioned as well about choosing the um, the sort of right customers to, to, to kind of talk to. Yeah. and. You know, one of the things that maybe is overlooked by maybe certain marketers is that, you know, not all feedback is kind of created equally. And mm-hmm. um, there is, you know, a big difference between getting feedback from, you know, someone who's a sort of, you know, power user to someone who's just like, you know, a sort of single user on a freemium account. Mm-hmm. So how do you sort of differentiate between, you know, different types of feedback from yep. different types of users? Well, and again, it sort of depends on whether you're talking about quantitative or qualitative mm. feedback. So I do think you have to be careful not to oversteer into a handful of customers, because if you're, especially if they're the customers that are closest to you, you're basically preaching to the choir sure, and you're exactly. getting a very biased yeah. sample set back. Uh, but what I've what I've always tried to do in recruiting advisory councils, for example, is to think very carefully about the company's objectives. Right? Who? What is the ideal customer profile that we're that we're pursuing? And make sure that we have enough of those folks on the council to help drive the discussion. I also remember at LinkedIn, it was almost like picking a well-rounded business school class or something, right? You wanted you wanted some customers who were new to the solutions. You wanted some who'd been, who were relative old timers. You wanted different company sizes. You wanted different industries. So it was like taking the bingo card and making sure that we had representation across the different samples so that if we were, for example, asking them to review a, a potential feature and asking them whether it was a, you know, single hit or a double or a home run, sure. that we would we wouldn't ignore the voice of the small, of the of SMB, for example, which exactly, is an important yeah. customer base. So, so I think some of it is in making sure that you're very conscious of who you pull into those conversations. And then on the flip side with quant research, this is the, you know, the power of the survey is that it really is a conversation at scale. And so you can survey and you should be surveying your entire base to get that representation and make sure that you can segment on the back end to really understand uh, different groups and what they think. And sure. I know that, you know, Intercom, for example, having used it in prior lives, you can segment quite well within that to reach different types of uh, organizations. Exactly, yeah. And I, and I think one of the the things I'm always particularly interested about is, again, once we've kind of collected that feedback, you know, how do we make that actionable and how do we sort of yes. use it constructively? Because I think maybe a sort of a pitfall that a lot of people find into is actually, you know, putting so much upfront work into actually collecting that research and then it just like sits on someone's desktop. So, I mean, what have you found particularly successful about sort of prioritizing and sort of like making that feedback actionable? Yeah, it's a great question because I do think the tendency is to measure. And then if you don't benchmark and act, which are really mm. critical parts of the, the process, then it's really all for naught. So I think the most critical thing is making sure that 
whoever is running the research has the senior audience that they need to to actually socialize mm. the findings. And in socializing the findings, you have to make sure that you include that slide on implications and next steps and get the organization aligned on what needs to be different based on what you've learned. So I found that to be really important in any research that I've run. And then the other thing I'll say, and this is partly from my consulting days, is the power of combining the quantitative numbers with qualitative quotes or something that will just bring that story to life for an executive is undeniable. Right. And so the storytelling aspect of being able to pull an anonymous quote or, or even a, a quote that's attributed to a specific customer into that dialogue will, will just help that story stick more exactly, and remind yeah. executives of the importance of acting on whatever it is that you've learned. Because I think it's important to realize that, you know, there's humans behind these numbers as well. And if, you know, if you just put together a deck full of just like, you know, tables of, of numbers, you know, it tells you one story, but it can be much more engaging to actually have, you know, verbatim sort of quotes from people as well. Absolutely. It's why we're, I think we're all steering to work away from B2B and into B2H, business exactly. to human, right? Yeah. I mean, it's really about the, the folks on the other end whose, uh, whose lives you're impacting. For sure. Um, so, and one thing I kind of wanted to chat to you a little bit about specifically, because I know that um, Survey Monkey started as a largely self-serve mm-hmm. business and mostly kind of freemium as well. Is that right? Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So we have been around for 19 years. Mm-hmm. In fact, this is our, 2019 is our 20th year in business, which is just extraordinary. Happy anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. We're, we're coming up on that date <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the relatively near future. And uh, to your point for, I would say it's a solid 17 of mm-hmm. those 19 plus years, we were really solely a self-serve business. So Mm. known as a freemium, powerful, but easy to use and certainly easy to sign up for online software that, you know, to to this day, we have 16 million active users in 190 countries and territories. We have 2 million people a day completing a survey, 20 million questions. You know, it's a lot of data and insight flowing through our, through our, our system. But it's only really within the last two years that we have really started to expand in the direction of enterprise. And it's really been in response to demand in some ways from from our customer base. So when you look at our our portfolio of solutions, and in fact, people listening may be surprised to to even know that we have a portfolio (laughs) of solutions. So that's part of what this year is about is getting that message out. But we looked looked at feedback in the form of how our platform was being used by, by our customers to understand what, where should we focus as we built out these purpose-built solutions? And it turns out the number one use case on SurveyMonkey is for gathering customer feedback. Mm. So the first one of the first products we developed is called SurveyMonkey CX, and it's a platform that you can use to operationalize a rigorous NPS program and make sure that you can automate it, really delve into the root causes and benchmark against other like companies mm. to to really drive your program and hopefully drive your company in the right direction. Similarly, the second, you know, the second most important or most common usage of SurveyMonkey is for employee feedback. You know, a very important set of constituents that you need to be listening and, and acting on what you hear. And so that led to the development of SurveyMonkey Engage, which is this easy to use platform for, to, you know, consistently taking the pulse on your employee organization. So, sure. so you know, it's in a way, customer feedback shaped where we took our product portfolio. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible virtuous cycle that you've got going on there. I'm just wondering, is there anything particularly challenging that you found about gathering feedback from enterprise customers as opposed to yeah. maybe self-serve ones? Well, and, and that's the other, you know, sort of the other evolution of our portfolio is in addition to this self-serve product, which is still 80% plus of mm. our business, uh, we've seen a growing number of companies might want actually come to us looking for an enterprise version of that, which builds in the right security access controls and so on and so forth. And that again was based on us listening to the feedback from customers to make sure we built out the right features and functionality to support feedback at scale. 
But in terms of gathering feedback from customers, I think the temptation there, and it really is a, a decision your organization needs to make, is are you going to over-index toward your biggest customers? So back to the, the notion of whose challenges and pain points are you trying to, trying to solve for? So only your organization can decide whether you're going to go up market and focus on large enterprise, which means a very different cycle of feedback and input that, uh, that you want to, to follow versus focusing on small business and more transactional scale uh, approach, which just lends itself to a different sort of feedback gathering. Sure. So I think it's back to the same idea of know, know who your feedback is coming from, where they fall in relation to your ideal customer profile. Make sure that you think through the idiosyncrasies and specifics of certain verticals. You know, if you are selling into education or government or heavily regulated industries, for example, their needs are going to be drastically different from if you're selling into large tech, for example. So, sure. so you just have to be aware. Yeah, it, it <laughs> yeah to- I hate to give the consultant's <laughs> yeah. answer, but it, it totally depends. And there's so much more uh, nuance in the enterprise sale, especially as you get into six, seven figures that you just need to be aware of. Sure. Okay. This has been great. So I just have one final question. I don't know, you mentioned that B2B is becoming B2H, which yes. is business humans. Are there any particular companies right now that, you know, are being particularly customer centric that you that you think are, are really nailing it in 2019? It's funny because that's a question that sometimes our research team asks. Mm. And in fact, even in our S1, when we filed to go public last year, Xander, our, our CEO, we included a survey in the the, the let CEO's letter in the S1. We had a QR code in there. That's that you could uh, dog, scan. dog fooding to the extreme, I think. Well, we like to call it eating in our own restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to eat dog food, but we all want to sample delicious wear. So, so there we were eating in our own restaurant, and we had this very short survey in there to ask people reading the S1 a few questions, one of which was, which company do you think does a superb job of delivering a great customer experience and listening to their customers? Mm. And perhaps predictably, the answer that comes up whenever we do this, whether it's in the, the context of a shareholder letter mm. or just in uh, in all of the, the surveying that we do, is Amazon. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Interesting. Amazon just, they, they deliver on their promises. I think that's ultimately what your customers want is when you say you're going to do something, whether it's shipping goods or having the right return policy or listening to feedback and incorporating it in the way they operate, Amazon's really good at it. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Incredibly trustworthy. Even their customer support, I think, is actually pretty incredible. If you ever run into an issue, you can be pretty well assured that it'll actually be resolved pretty quickly, which I think is incredible for a company that scale. That's right. And then my B2B example, this is a little biased because I know the team over there, but I think Influitive is another organization okay, that does a, does a strong job of that. And, you know, perhaps that's natural. They, After all, they develop software for customer advocacy. But I think uh, having been a customer of theirs in prior lives, I think they do a really good job of incorporating feedback and thinking about the role of feedback in, in, in product development. And in fact, if I can give a quick plug, we're we're partnering with Influitive, with Sendoso, with a couple of other firms in spinning up what we're calling the Customer Powered Alliance, because we all believe so strongly in this notion of customer feedback and, and really going to market with your customers that we'd like to make a little bit more noise about it. Great. And obviously SurveyMonkey are the most customer-centric company of all so we're doing our best you <laughs> yeah, know yeah. we definitely internalize this need to, to listen benchmark and act on feedback in a way that drives growth and innovation and it's been certainly a secret of our success over the years great okay thank you so much Leila, for joining us thank you for having me thanks for listening to the inside intercom podcast for more interviews go to intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to our podcast on itunes spotify soundcloud or stitcher this is Inside Intercom.